This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 250 with guest Rachel Foy. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad and grateful that you are here. I have an amazing conversation for you to listen to today, a conversation I had with the lovely and smart Rachel Foy. We're going to get to that in just a minute. And I'm, I'm really happy that some of you have been giving me such great feedback about the conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people episodes that I have done. And I I've only done a handful of them. So the first official one was a couple of weeks ago with my friend Elizabeth D'Alto. We talked about everything from racism to cultural whitewashing. It was a really interesting talk. And it's kind of one of those things. And this is this is really how it is with every episode that I do, every conversation I have here with someone. I really don't know where it's going to go. But if I'm interviewing an expert, I have a general idea that we're going to probably stay on topic. But with these particular conversations, you know, conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people, they are not expert interviews. They are learning conversations that I am having with a real life friend of mine. And the other two that I did, really where it kicked off was the episodes I did with my friend Kate Anthony on diet culture and body image. And thank you for those of you who have written in or private messaged me on Instagram telling me that you really enjoyed it. I have more lined up. The next one one that I plan to do is on sexual assault and not a light topic, right? As I'm recording this, it's October 3rd, 2018. I'm recording this intro for you. And I spent the weekend hosting a retreat, uh, my secondary way retreat in Asheville. And it was difficult for me to pay any attention to the news that was going on at Capitol Hill here, Capitol Hill here in the States, um, but Capitol Hill over here in the US. And I had to shut it off. I had to be present for the long weekend where I was hosting this retreat on shame and holding people's shame stories and holding all of their stories. And it was as a facilitator of this work, what we call in the business, we call that self-managing. And I had to self-manage. And that included turning off all of that that was happening because for me personally, you know, having had experience with sexual assault and lots and lots and lots of sexual harassment. I can't be with this topic yet and not feel rage. I am clear that it is beyond anger. I don't feel anger. I feel rage. And anger and rage are very familiar to me. Um, and not feelings I've ever really been afraid to express. <laughs> I remember, yes, I've absolutely been told to simmer it down, that I'm too angry, I'm too much, and then that would make me even more ragey. But for me, this particular, and I think for so many women and some men too, but I know the vast majority of my audience is women, 
that we are feeling a lot of feelings around this topic and people are having, you know, wounds opened up again, being re-traumatized, listening to, you know, anything from Me Too stories to why I didn't report stories. I posted mine on Facebook. It's a public post if you want to go and read it. And I have so much to say about this. And I am gathering my thoughts. I'm not afraid to speak from a place of rage. I'm not at all. I want to make sure, though, that I'm being thoughtful and know what I am saying. (laughs) Not from a place of, this is the answer and I am the expert, just just to know what my point is. Because when I am full of rage, I can tend to go off on tangents that aren't really that helpful. I don't think. And that's where I'm at right now today is is gathering my thoughts and figuring out what is sort of um, just I think the general slash more specific topics that I want to have a conversation with one of my friends. I have actually two close friends, both whom have already been on this podcast, whom I've extended invitations to to come on and have this very tender conversation and they are both thinking about it. Partly they are having to really think about it because what they are what they've been asked to talk about by me, what they've been invited to come and talk about are stories that they have not told either publicly and or to their family. So it's kind of a big deal. And just kind of letting you know where I'm at with that and what is coming. I have other topics as well, but I feel like, you know, not that I like to chase the news, but it's just, it's something that I think is tender and raw for so many of us. And I think that hearing these kinds of conversations can be helpful for people. So that's that. Also, if you like to listen to these podcasts in real time, which so many of you do, and it makes me so happy, thank you. On Monday the 8th, we opened registration for my next Daring Way retreat. So if you were on that list, you have received emails about it. It is starting to fill. I have 11 spots available. I ended up um, opening up another spot and we are going to the, back to that same venue right outside of Asheville in the Smoky Mountains. It's so incredibly beautiful there. It's going to be spring out there. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So if you did not get on that list, you can still get on it. I'll probably send another email this week. So if you're listening to this in real time, go over to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat and you might get another email. If not, you're going to have to wait until I either announce the actual page that that retreat sign-up page is on, or if you're a regular subscriber, you will get an email probably next week or the week after. All right, before we jump into this conversation, I am going to tell you a little bit about my guest. Rachel Foy is an author, motivational speaker, soul work teacher, and spiritual mentor, and the founder of The Soul Fed Woman. She helps driven, ambitious, and successful women wake up and reclaim their lives so they are no longer missing from it. With close to 10 years of personal and professional experience, she combines science, therapy, psychology, and spirituality, allowing her clients the highest level of transformation information possible. So without further ado, here is Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. 
You're very welcome. Good afternoon. Welcome morning for you. Hello. Yes, we are in very different time zones and it is the first thing in the morning for me and the afternoon for Rachel. And we're just going to make it work. We are. We've got this. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. We are the experts. Trust us, everyone. Well, and speaking of expert, I am not an expert in this particular topic. That's why I love to have people like you on who know so much more about this particular um, I, w- I was going to say issue, but I don't like calling it that because it sounds like <gasps> such a big deal. But it's such a common one for women, right? Of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my first question, I'm just going to jump right in because I have several that I want to ask you. I want to make sure that we get through everything. As I know my listeners, uh, many of them struggle in this area. I've had several different experts on and I love getting different perspectives and different tools on things. So my first question is, let's let's just start with emotional eating. What can we do when we find ourselves feeding our feelings with food? I think the very first thing is is awareness. And I know you said like, you know, this this is something that affects so many people and it mm-hmm. does. And I just work with women. Um, and I think sometimes it's actually just having that awareness and actually admitting it because sometimes we don't. Like I was an emotional eater for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And this is this is kind of where my passion comes from now. And I never... I never fully acknowledged it. It's like I always kind of saw it as me being weak or me not having the discipline to avoid the food. But I never actually acknowledged that this is what was going on. This was kind of my coping strategy at the time. And yeah, kind of almost taking, not taking responsibility to start with, but just being aware of this is what this is what I'm doing. Because sometimes we don't. It's like we're doing it, but we're doing it on autopilot and we're kind of half aware of the fact that we're stuffing ourselves with like chips but we don't really want to acknowledge it and there's so much power that comes in actually stopping and going do you know what this is what I'm doing I might not know why I'm doing it I don't know what the solution is right now but this right now is the thing that I am doing and I'm going to just be fully aware of it and I'm going to kind of I'm going to admit it to myself I think that's the first thing is Mm -hmm. to actually admit that that's what's going on for you yeah and I think a lot of my listeners have, you know, are at that place or have been at that place for a while where they do realize it. And so I know that in terms of your story, you, you kind of, without realizing it, food had become like you were just saying your source of pleasure, happiness, satisfaction. And you Mm -hmm. said that you tried to fix your relationship with food, but it kind of led you down a path of obsession. So can you (sighs) kind of walk us through your journey? Cause I'm sure many people can relate. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, no, I was no different to anyone else. So I kind of, you know, I was a good girl at school, very academic, very well behaved, you know, all the grades, etc. When I hit about 15, I started to feel really like I didn't fit in, which I know is quite a common thread with some some of these conversations. And I started to dabble in diets. So I'm not blaming my mum, but my mum was was a chronic dieter at the time. So this is what I was exposed to growing up in my house. And I started dieting. Like there was no there was no intention of it becoming the obsession that it turned into, but I just very harmlessly went into the world of Weight Watchers. And I thought, well, if I just lose a little bit of weight, I might feel a bit more confident with myself. I might feel that I fit in a bit more, that people accept me a bit more. Um, because I didn't particularly enjoy school back in the day. And it was a really quick, slippery slope into this 14-year world of obsession and eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorder, exercise obsession, like everything. That was never my intention. My intention was, I just want to drop a few pounds. Now, I know that this isn't what always happens to dieters, but 
as soon as we start dieting and restricting and trying to control our food and trying to modify our body in terms of trying to change her size and shape, we are then we're kind of exposing ourselves to creating a dysfunctional relationship with food Mm -hmm. because that's where the obsession comes from because we can't have the chocolate because we can't have the chips. And as soon as you start putting invisible labels on food, we start to want them more. And I ended up becoming a, an emotional eater. I suffered from binge eating disorder on and off. Um, I used to purge predominantly through exercise. That was my means of, of purging from binging. Um, and as I said, this went on for like 14 years, which I lost. Like I'll never get that time back again. And, and I think it's just something that, you know, if anyone listening right now is in that situation, it's like, don't wait, like stop waiting for this to get better on its own. Because unless you reach out, to someone or to get the help that you need or actually just taking that first step as I said just acknowledging that you have got an issue don't judge it you're not to blame it's not your fault it's not a sign of weakness but it is something that you can take responsibility for and start you know taking the necessary steps for you to start overcoming this because it doesn't have to be this lifelong sentence that sadly for so many women it does end up becoming and that's that's heartbreaking yeah well, I want to pause for a second and just, I really like that you said it's not your fault because I think that what you described, I can relate so much to that story and, and yeah. what happened to me. And I know that this is, again, like, is a hot topic for my listeners and this is what we are taught. And, and sadly, this is, this story that you described is more of the norm than not. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. it is what we're taught and the messaging that we hear. And I personally didn't have a mom like yours. There was no... Um, messaging from my from my mother about that. I was sort of a product of the media and grew up in the yeah. late 70s and 80s where all I saw, you know, MTV raised me. And that's, you know, it, it just, it's, it's something that if you meet a woman who's never had any body issues or dieted or anything like that, it's sort of a unicorn. Like, where Absolutely. did you come from? Like, that's so cool. I know. <laughs> but that just that just kind of highlights though the fact that this is so socially accepted now right. like eating disorders disordered eating food obsession weight obsession we don't bat an eyelid like we don't we don't question it like mm-hmm. 10 20 30 years ago if somebody had food obsession to the extent that I had I know that you struggle with this as well there was a very good chance that they would have gone to seek some kind of professional help because it wasn't necessarily normal behavior. Whereas nowadays, it's like everyone's on a diet, everybody criticizes their body, you know, all women get together, and I'm kind of painting everybody with the same brush. But it's just an accepted topic of conversation for women. It's like, how much weight have you lost? You know, you're going to go on a diet for summer. It's a comfortable conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But this is also then when we start to normalize the behavior in the first place. And obviously, these kind of conversations, they're needed for that. Some women can actually start waking up to the fact that this is not normal. They're not to blame, but it's not normal behavior. And therefore, they can, you know, they can do something about it. Yeah. I would love to take like a little side detour for a second, because this is something I've never talked about on the podcast. And you mentioned body dysmorphic disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. I, I know a couple of people who have struggled with it. Can you explain what that looks like? Yeah, so body dysmorphic disorder is when somebody sees themselves in terms of their body in a very different way to what everybody else sees themselves. So very typical, and this this was for me, I would like look in a mirror and I would see myself bigger than what I actually was. So I believed like through my eyes in my mind, I was like, I've got too much weight, my legs are too big, my tummy's too big, like my hips are too wide. But actually I wasn't, like I was a normal size. And 
I think body dysmorphic disorder is, again, I would argue it's probably so much more common than what people realize. And I don't like to put labels on things because labels in themselves can create an issue. But I think it's useful just to kind of talk about this because quite often I've seen this in my clients, in my community, that women have got this perception of themselves in terms of what they think they look like. And if you stood them in front of like a 100 strangers, the majority of those strangers would not see them in the way that they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this isn't just about body. This is also about, you know, how they feel inside of themselves, like self-esteem, self-worth, et cetera. But body dysmorphic disorder is when we distort our body image. So we think that we look different to how in reality we actually are. Yeah, I, I think I always thought that it was someone who struggled with that it was a, a like a major difference so if like they were actually a size 8 they saw themselves as like a size 24 but i from what i understand it's it's it can be way more subtle than that Oh, absolutely. I mean, with all these things, you know, if we kind of put labels on anything, there are always like one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, that was the way that I saw it. It was like I was just bigger than what I actually was. Granted, for some other women, it can be like the extremes of that, whereby they, they think they're two, three, four times the size of what they might be. Mm -hmm. um, but it can be subtle. It can be extreme. The same with food obsession and weight obsession in general. For some people, it's not as significant as others but they still have the issue. You know, it's still something that they're challenged by. Mm -hmm. I saw something on TV. I don't even remember what it, what it was, but there was uh, they had done this, maybe it was kind of an experiment of, of sorts. They had lined up. It was, it was a lot. It was like 20 or 25 women and they were all in order of size. And there was maybe like a five to 10 pound size difference between each of the women. And maybe, maybe it wasn't even real women. Maybe they had just, they were drawings of women and they asked women, point to which body looks the most like uh, yours. Yes, yeah. I've seen something like that too. And nobody yep. got it right. Yeah. <laughs> they were all <laughs> they were all pointing to a body that was actually bigger than their actual size. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, but again that just highlights the fact that we carry this obsession with us like we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody else and then often we kind of misinterpret that perception and we we have this mis, mis, um, misconstrued idea as to what we think we look like and then that can lead to anxiety and then the food stuff starts to become more of a problem so yeah it, it is it is fascinating and and I remember I've, I've seen something like that over here on um, TV in, here in the UK when it was actually about helping women embrace their bodies a bit more and you're right every single person was like that's me. I'm on that side of the line. And they were completely like, you know, not over there. They were like more down this side. <laughs> yeah. Not, not well, and I just, I just want to mention it. I don't, I, we, I have other podcast episodes where we go down this rabbit hole, but I had a rude awakening years and years ago. I was really fighting, raging against the machine of patriarchy and, and this whole weight obsession and everything. And I paused in my, my, my rage and thought, Oh, wait a minute. Body acceptance is a, a great idea in theory. However, let's take a look at how we as a culture demonize larger bodies. I read the mm. book Hunger by Roxane Gay. There's so many great books oh, ab loads, yeah. about this, but her memoir, I will put the link in the show notes. It's just so incredible and raw and unfiltered and just everything about a woman being, a, um, and she is morbidly obese. And it's just a glimpse into her life and what, and what she's dealt with the majority of her life. So anyway, um, I just wanted to to mention that because it's a real true thing. 
No, and it is. And I, th- and I think also just to kind of quickly pick up something that you said then, we do sadly live in a fat phobic culture. Like mm-hmm. we can't deny the fact that the society as it, it currently is right now, there is this underlying like phobia, fear against being fat or like fatter people. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is feeding, pun intended, it's feeding the diet culture. Yep. You know, like we have so many, and I say we, society, we have so many preconceived perceptions of what we think a larger body is and like what that becomes and what that means. And, you know, this is also where the fear of weight gain comes in. Like I've I've spoken to my community so many times on this topic because as soon as women start taking their power back with food and they they start breaking away from diet culture and they start breaking the diet rules in like with you know intention and, and with permission, this fear of weight gain comes up time and time and time again. And we have to start stripping it down. We have to start unraveling. Like, but what does that mean for you? Like your fear of weight gain is not about weight gain. It's the meaning. It's the story that you're giving it. So what's your perception of a fatter body? Like, do you see that as you having failed? Do you think people will judge you? Do you think people will think that you're lazy? Because we do sadly have so many preconceived ideas about what fatter bodies represent, which aren't true. But we never question them until these conversations start happening. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's relevant, very, very relevant. Well, my summary then was I did not feel comfortable, you know, waving the flag of body acceptance if I wasn't also fighting the fight against fat phobia. It yeah. just didn't make any sense. It, I was a yeah. hypocrite. You know, I was a total hypocrite for it. So anyway. I, that's a conversation for another time because I want to stay on track here. You kind of on the flip side, I guess you talk a lot about being emotionally fed, which is something a bit different from emotional eating. So can you tell us what it means to be emotionally fed and how we can hopefully put that into practice? Yeah. So a lot of the work that I do, and I, and I talk about awakening our soul fed woman, because for me, whenever we start to show these symptoms of like food obsession, weight obsession, they are symptomatic, they're metaphorical, they're surface layer stuff. And this is why trying to fix the food stuff is never going to get anybody anywhere because you're putting like a, a bandaid on a bullet wound. Like there's so much depth to what's going on. And I talk about being emotionally fed because when we start to really step into that energy and that essence of becoming a soul fed woman, it is about acknowledging like what is really going on for us. Like food is the thing that we're turning to, to either cope, to numb out, to distract, to substitute in terms of, you know, love or acceptance or whatever it could be, safety sometimes. And when we start to recognize that, we can then choose always to start empowering ourselves through choice through changing our thoughts by changing our behaviors like working on our on our inner world so when we are emotionally fed we no longer need food as a substitute to fill that emotional void so turning to food particularly emotional eating as the name suggests we turn to food to change our emotional state so if someone is constantly in a state of anxiety and food is the thing that she's turning to to try and you know push it down, numb it out, you know, ignore it sometimes, distract herself. If she's more emotionally fed in the capacity of, well, where's the anxiety coming from? Like, is there something that's creating the anxiety for her? Is it a job that she doesn't like? Is it a relationship that's got no passion anymore? Does she not feel connected to her, you know, her parents, her family, her partner? This is where the the real work comes from. And feeding our emotions 
in the capacity of you know awakening our self-fed woman is it's all about empowerment Mm -hmm. and it's all about realizing that food is just the symptom and you can try and restrict it and you can try and abstain from it and you can try and you know calorie count it as much as you want to but if you're not being honest and truthful as to why the food is an issue in the first place you're going to be on that diet treadmill forever so you know feeding our emotions is is what we need and we need to we need to kind of recognize them and, and then start taking that responsibility, you know, for ourselves and for our lives to, to do something about it. Oh, emotions. <laughs> oh, emotions. What would we do without them? Oh my gosh. I was just having a conversation with my son about this last night. He's learning how to meditate. He's almost 11 and Amazing. he struggles with anxiety. And he was saying, he was saying, you know, I don't, when I get angry, I don't want to feel angry. And so I was, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, it's not, nobody really likes, enjoys it. It's just, um, you know, I was talking to him about emotions and how, what if you looked at it like it was just like sneezing or farting Mm. or sweating? It's just your body taking, I wrote about this in my book, you know, it was such an aha moment for me to try to look at emotions through the perspective lens of what if it's just my body taking care of itself? Like it knows what to do. It knows what to yeah. do, just like those other things I mentioned. And that is so interesting, though, isn't it? How we have these, um, again, kind of these preconceived notions about emotions, like some emotions are good and we label some as being bad and therefore we try not to feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it is just, and I often refer to our emotions as being like our inner compass. It's just our body talking to us. And unfortunately, a lot of us either we've never been taught how to listen or we are too scared to listen. Or sometimes those emotions can feel so big and overwhelming that we don't know what to do with them. And and I think what you just said there, you know, about about your son, that's the way that I view emotions too. It's absolutely no different to your body saying that she wants a drink or she needs to go to bed because she's tired. Sometimes she wants to let you know that she feels angry because someone's, you know, maybe overstepped boundaries or mm-hmm. someone said something that actually wasn't okay. Or someone won't buy you the video game that you want. <laughs> Or, yes, if you're 11, then that might be true as well. Yeah, it's, you know, I've just started to reckon with my own emotions over the last decade or so. And it's, it's been, it's been a long time coming. Well, what, what can someone do? I'm thinking about someone listening who feels like food is their only pleasure in life. What would you say to that person? Uh, I see food and pleasure as being probably one of the biggest topics actually that comes up in the work that I do and you know when kind of backtracking we are human beings like we're spiritual beings in this like human body in this human version of existence and we seek pleasure you know this is what our minds are seeking all the time like we want fun we want pleasure we want to be enjoying ourselves and unfortunately many of us don't for whatever reason so if somebody recognizes that food is their only source of pleasure, as I said very early on, it's like, well, acknowledge it, accept that that's where you are right now. Don't judge it. You're not to blame. Just kind of start viewing it through the lens of curiosity as in, oh, isn't it interesting mm-hmm. why I turn to food whenever I'm feeling a bit fed up or a bit down? Maybe it is because I'm seeking pleasure. And then 
it's about being a truth teller. And this this is the kind of the work that I think a lot of people shy away from. And I'm sure that you see this as well, Andrea. It's like, right, I've acknowledged it and I can see what's going on. But now I need to get honest. Like yeah. now I need to acknowledge that I need to talk to people or I need to start making change or I might need to look for a different job or I might need to sit my partner down and have a really honest, raw conversation about something. And this is where the emotion stuff comes in. It's like it's uncomfortable and it creates a bit, you know, discomfort sometimes but without us being truthful we're never going to get to that place of ever feeling more free around food and body stuff because the more that we swallow that down and the more that we pretend that it's not there and just hope it goes away the bigger it starts to get and and I'm a massive a massive believer that you know our bodies and minds they are so finely connected to one another that if you keep ignoring something for long enough your body just starts speaking louder Mm -hmm. and if you ignore her for even loud you know even longer she will start speaking even louder um and that's something that I've experienced myself you know my anxiety manifested into full-blown panic attacks after years of not acknowledging it Mm -hmm. by which I then had to do something because it just I couldn't go out anymore um so becoming a truth teller is is really where the answers to the that original question comes from it's if food is your only source of pleasure you've got to start being honest with yourself you know and asking yourself those uncomfortable questions as in well why and and how can I get more pleasure what needs to change what do I want more of what do I want less of what do I need what am I desiring what am I hungry for and until you can do that the food cycle thing the treadmill Mm -hmm. it's going to keep going until you choose to get off it yeah, and I, I also want to acknowledge that I love how you're talking about this in in sort of stages of how one sort of walks this path. Um, mm-hmm. You might want to call it recovers, but I, I think that it's sort of like a lifelong thing that, yeah. that can loop for many. Yes. And I, I also want to acknowledge for people that, you know, because people say, I, I get the question a lot about how long will this take me or how people ask me, like, how long did it take for you to do X, Y, or Z, whether it was around my alcoholism or my codependency or my negative self-talk. And I, I don't like to answer it because I feel like everybody has a different sort of pain tolerance of how long they can take something. And you can look at it like with these stages too. Somebody might stay in that awareness stage for a long ass time. And then you move into, okay, well, what are the things I need to get honest with about? Oh, I really need to start having better conversations with my partner. I need to start setting boundaries at work. And they might stay there for a long time. There's a, there's a saying in the 12 step program, the rooms of the 12 step programs that says three frogs sat on a log. One of them decided to jump off. How many frogs are on the log? And the answer is three because the one frog just decided to jump off. It didn't actually jump off. So <laughs> you, know, ah. you can know that you need to, you know, you can get honest with yourself and say like, oh, I need to do all of these things and then just stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I don't like to shame true. anyone for that because life coaching and personal development in general, and, and, and y'all, I am good at cheerleading people. Like, yes, you can do it. Take action, take action, take action. And for some people, they're just not fucking ready. No, no, absolutely. And I think that's a really valid point to make and I think when you and I spoke when you were on my podcast we were talking about something similar that you know even you and I with our toolkit with our experience with our knowledge with our wisdom we are still working through our stuff yeah you know like this journey never ends and and I think if we can 
kind of appreciate that and accept that a little bit more and almost relax into the fact of, well, this is kind of just what it is now. And mm-hmm. and every opportunity is just an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to become more curious. It's an opportunity to, to understand myself on a little bit of a deeper level than I have done before. Mm-hmm. It makes the journey far more of a, right, quick, I just need to go like, you know, check, 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 and that's it, I've done it to actually this is part of the work you know the work is the journey it's not that destination as cliched as it sounds but it isn't it's it's the day by day bit by bit moment by moment just unraveling things and and you know reflecting on it and sometimes staying where you want to stay for a little bit longer and that's totally fine as well but until someone actually makes that decision and they decide that they don't want to be where they are anymore then that journey is not going to start. So that's where it begins with that decision of, do you know what? I don't want this anymore. I I want better. I deserve better. And I'm just going to start. Even if you don't know how, just going to start. Yeah. And I I do think that people get to a point, you know, where they make the decision, they have the awareness, they make the decision, and then the action is bigger. And that's typically where people go to really start seeing a therapist and doing the work. They sign up for um, coaching programs from people like you and I, they hire a one-on-one coach or consultant because in those cases, like those, those women that sign up for my programs, and I'm sure yours as well, the vast majority of them, they are plunking down money and carving out time in their schedules Mm. to actually take the action and do the work. And I, I don't, I don't want anyone to sign up for my programs who's not totally ready to do that because you're just wasting your own time and money. And, and then you end up feeling like shit afterwards. And I don't want that for anybody, but I just, I just wanted to acknowledge like all of those phases. And I just, I really think we get to a point where we say no more. I cannot be in this place anymore of like all this awareness, this discomfort, I've got to take action. And I'm just, I also want to say, you know, there's support out there. There's so much help and support and we got you. We know, Absolutely. We know. <laughs> we know. We've been there. Totally. We've read the book, worn the t-shirt, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, we know. We get it. So, you know, stay where you are for now. But and when you get that feeling, and for me, and I'm sure that you're quite similar, whenever I've known that I've needed extra help, it's just that knowing. It's like that intuition mm-hmm. or inner wisdom or whatever it is. It's like you just know. Like, you know when the time is right to reach out for someone. You know when the time is right to go and get that book. You you know, or go and do that workshop. It's like, you just know. So, so yeah, you just know. And then it goes back to that saying, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, isn't that how it goes? Yeah. Always. I love love it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, one of my favorite topics, and it's because I know it so well is numbing out. And you and I have talked about this before. So I would love to hear you talk about this and more specifically, I mean, I think it's sort of obvious, like a rhetorical question, like, why do we choose to numb out? (laughs) And what are the most common ways we might do this? um, Obviously, food is one of them, but anything else? And and also, can you answer the question, like, how do you feel that we can overcome or stop numbing out? Well, I think, first of all, numbing out is something that so many of us do without knowing that we do it. So yes, I talk predominantly about food in like my area, but it's not just about food. It's it's loads of other things that I'll talk about in a second. But numbing out is really when we just disconnect, like we disconnect from our reality. So we start to distract ourselves or we just start to zone out. I often refer it to like we're, we're 
like turning the channel you know we're kind of we're there but we're not really there Mm -hmm. so food is obviously number one in my world or was in my world it's just so easy you can it's easily accessible you can get it wherever you want to you can eat it on the move it's just it's there all the time um but as as you said it's not just food it can be alcohol which I know you've you've had experience with Um, it can be shopping, spon- you know, spontaneous shopping. It can be nowadays, my God, social media, like mm-hmm. how many of us sit and we just scroll through our phone whilst the world is going on around us. And we're just, you know, we're not there. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that so many of us do without fully realizing that that's what we're doing. So we numb out, obviously, because we are not in a happy place and it doesn't have to be extremely not happy, but it's that feeling of feeling, um, discomfort or disconnected I would say and disconnected is is quite a significant word so a lot of the the work that I do is about helping women reconnect back to themselves because when we're not connected we don't feel grounded we don't feel all the feels we don't really trust ourselves we don't believe in our intuition it's like we're just floating through life and that's no way to live in my opinion Mm -hmm. you know we need to be fully present and fully in the moment enjoying it experiencing it um good and bad but actually being fully present So whenever we are numbing out and particularly with food, and and this is kind of a bizarre thing to say, but I think sometimes when we are feeling something and we were saying about emotions, let's say that we're feeling anxious about just life. So job might not be what you want. Relationship might not be what you want. And every evening and when you come home, you just sit on the sofa in front of Netflix and you're just binge eating on something that discomfort that you have from binging, so the guilt and the feeling terrible and the feeling like shit, somehow that's easier to cope with than the original reason why you're choosing to numb mm. out in the first place mm-hmm. because they're often the big things. We go back to truth-telling again. You know, It's easier to beat ourselves up for having no willpower with the bag of chips than it is to go, do you know what, husband, partner, sit down. We need to have a really honest conversation about something. So we also numb out through protection. You know, it's sometimes it is about safety, like we just don't feel safe to go there or we we feel too scared and our minds are trying to keep us in where we are because of that unknown fear of well, what's on the other side. If I have that conversation with my partner, what's going to be the outcome? It's too scary. I, I don't want to do that. So let's just stay where we are. Let's just go and get some more chips. Let's just keep watching Netflix. Let's just keep numbing out. I just hope that it goes away, hoping that it gets better. But that's not the solution, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. The part about how the the feeling that we get from from binging or or whatever it is that we're doing to numb out is is it, it, it's the feeling that we're more comfortable with. Yeah, which is crazy, especially when it's, it's cyclical for people. Oh, absolutely. It's it's kind of it's a familiar feeling of discomfort, and also I think we can label it. And again, I don't like labels, but someone that's got this underlying, and I'm speaking from my personal experience now. If you've got an underlying feeling of anxiety, which I had for such a long time, and I'd never connected it to anything except it was my job and my relationships and all the big stuff, I think sometimes it's easier for us to go, "Oh, I feel really shit now because I've just binged on all that food, and that's guilt, and I feel so bad about it, and I'm such a bad person." And it kind of gives us the permission to to understand why we feel like we do. Whereas often when we feel the big feels and we can't maybe quite put our finger on why, or maybe we can and we're choosing not to acknowledge it, 
it's a bit more difficult to connect to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we do often turn to things, whether it be food or alcohol or cigarettes, or it can be drugs, or it can be, you know, it can be anything, because it's somehow easier to cope with that self-created feeling of guilt and not feeling very good about ourselves than it is to actually acknowledge the truth of why it's like that in the first place. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's big stuff. You know, I was... Related but unrelated. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Clueless. Oh, I love it. And it's, um, if I'm on a flight, it seems to always be on Delta flights. And if there's not another movie I want to watch, I always watch it. And I tend to watch it when I get sick and I'm watching movies. I practically have the whole movie memorized. But there's one part where Cher is complaining about what she, it, it just, it, the scene popped up for me when you were talking about that. And, and I think that. Also, not only are we more comfortable with that feeling of the shame and guilt and uh, of whatever behavior we've just done, whether it's binging or, you know, alcohol or whatever, but I, f I make up that it's easier for us to talk about those feelings with our friends mm -hmm. than, the, you know, dealing with the actual problem that's underneath. Cause that's where I feel yeah. like people hide out. But in the movie, you know, and she's complaining to, to Dion, you know, I had five peanut M&Ms, two Twizzlers. What did she call herself? A heifer or something like that. But I'm like, oh my God. And that was my, I mean, that movie was my everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think so many of us can relate to that though, can't we? It's like, yeah. it's okay to talk about that stuff within like, you know, a safe group of girlfriends mm. or, you know, people that we feel that, that can connect to us because we don't want to go any deeper. It's that whole truth telling thing again. It's like, yeah. we just don't want to go there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a rich conversation, Rachel. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here on the show and everyone please run out and go check out the links in the show notes for this episode, rachelfoy.com. Rachel, before we go, is there anything else you want to say before we close up? I think just to kind of reinforce what we're saying here, it's like if someone listening right now is nodding along and going, oh my God, that's what I do. Yeah, I understand everything that they're saying. Just just kind of accept that that's where you are. Okay, you don't have to stay there forever. Change can happen as quickly as you want it to. It is just about taking that first step and making that decision. Um, and anyone that is like really struggling with this and they don't know where to start, um, if you head over to soulfedwoman.com forward slash get started, um, there's a 23 page guide completely free that you can download and it's got some really practical steps as to what you can start doing now to stop fighting food and weight obsession. I love it. And remember everyone, if you are one of my patrons, you get to help me shape the questions for these interviews as the, as the year goes on, I'm going to just start doing that more and more. I know I've sort of batched a lot of these episodes that we're listening to right now, but I'm super excited as the year comes to a close and into 2019 that my patrons are going to be more involved in the podcast. So head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL. Again, all these links are going to be in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for being here. I know your time is so valuable and I'm so grateful that you spend it with me and my guests every week. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.
Oh, hey there. If you're still listening to this podcast, I know you are a very loyal listener. First and foremost, I want to say thank you. And second, I want to let you know about Patreon. Many of you are already pledges over there on Patreon. And what that means is that I'm giving everyone an opportunity to support the podcast for as little as a dollar per episode. If you head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL, you can read about the three different tiers that I offer and all of the amazing perks that come along with it. With the $16 a month pledge, you can get your own unique personal development questions answered on listener Q&A episodes. I do monthly Ask Me Anything videos there in Patreon where you can ask me anything. I also take suggestions from my patrons on topics to cover or experts that they would love to see on the show. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL. 